Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Ros Taylor. Last week, it was hinted that the long-awaited High Speed 2 railway might terminate six miles outside London to save money. The Chancellor quashed that, but HS2 has already been scaled back. Why is it proving so hard for Britain to build more than one high-speed railway? Christian Walmar is an expert on British railways, and you may have heard him talking about their parlour state a couple of weeks ago on the bunker. He's back in the studio now. Welcome back, Christian. Very pleased to be back. How long is it since HS2 was first mooted? Oh, well, uh, quite a long time. I mean, one could say first mooted would be back in the previous century. I remember when Alistair Darling was a transport secretary in the first uh, decade of the 21st century, and we'd have press conferences. In the days when I had press conferences, something that doesn't happen these days, and uh, we'd always ask it, as transport correspondents, we'd always say, oh, well, you know, Mr. Darling, what about what about a high-speed line, you know? And he'd always poo-poo the idea and say, no, no, it's not going to happen. And then he got replaced by Andrew Adonis, Lord Adonis, as he was then, for the last uh, year, 18 months of the Labour regime. And Andrew was a great fan of high-speed lines and very quickly managed to get it not only on the agenda, but actually as agreed government policy. So we're really, this this incarnation of HS2 dates back to 2009. So we're 13, 14 years into this, and uh, certainly no sign of a, a, a train buzzing by yet. Where was this originally going to go in the, in the first plans? Ah, well, there have been numerous plans. So one, one of the reasons for its genesis was the idea that it would be able to replace flights from Heathrow. So then Tory government, kind of, which then kind of adopted it, decided not to go ahead with a third runway. And that meant that there was this kind of gap in transport infrastructure building or whatever. And so they had the smart idea of then saying, well, we've got HS2 here, we're going to give it our support, and it will replace some flights from Heathrow, it it will be an alternative. So that was one of the ideas, it was going to go to Heathrow, it was then going to go to Birmingham, and then under the Tory, the early Tory government, it had a a kind of weird route by which it would go to Manchester and then Leeds without a kind of eastern side to it. And, And that was 
quickly changed into a Y shape. So then it went to Birmingham. They abandoned the Heathrow idea and it went to Leeds on the eastern side and Manchester on the western side. But we're still not there yet. There is now a third iteration of this, which is essentially that the eastern phase has really been downgraded. So that was going to go through a place called Toton, which is halfway between Nottingham and Derby, and then possibly to Sheffield or Meadowhall, probably, on the outskirts of Sheffield, and then to Leeds. Now, that last bit from the East Midlands to Leeds has been scrapped, or at least it's subject to consultation and debate and discussion. So what are we left with? We're left with a line that goes from Old Oak Common, which is five miles outside Paddington, as you said, to Birmingham, the outskirts of Birmingham, a station called Interchange, which is near Birmingham Airport, and then a spur to Birmingham Curzon Street, which is about a mile away from New Street. And then it will run on at least to Crewe. And that's part of phase one and, and phase two, that the phase 2A, which uh, is sort of pretty definitely got the, the go-ahead. So that's what we're left with at the moment. Now, you mentioned that there was idea that they might scrap the idea between Old Oak Common and the, 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 the section between Old Oak Common and Euston. Now, that is pretty much unworkable in the long run. You said that the Chancellor kind of uh, really put the kibosh on that. He didn't quite, actually. He said something like, I can't imagine any circumstances in which it would be, you know, it would be feasible to have the uh, terminus at Old Oak Common rather than Euston. So he didn't actually quite, he did that kind of politician's thing of, of obfuscating. But that is not really a feasible idea for, for, for numerous reasons. So to sum up, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of doubt about the eastern section, about the final section to Manchester, about the old Oak Common to Euston bit. Heathrow has been junked, and there's a considerable amount of construction going on at the moment on the remaining section. So what we're left with is a sort of truncated rump of a scheme which has had bits lopped off in order to save money at different times. Is that uh, a fair description? <laughs> I couldn't put it better myself, Ross. That's a absolutely right. And the reason for that is, well, let's take us back first of all. One of the reasons for that is that it was an ill-conceived scheme from the beginning, right? You know, what was it for? So, as I said, initially, it was supposed to kind of go to Heathrow and therefore relieve some flights and whatever. But Actually, nobody flies from London to, well, a few fly to Manchester. Nobody flies to Leeds, hardly anybody. Actually, there are no flights between London and Birmingham. So the idea that it was going to relieve, you know, large amounts of uh, runway space was, was completely uh, ludicrous. So so they they junked that. But I, I was talking to somebody who was, like me, a long-time opponent of this, only last night. He just came up to me and said, gosh, isn't this HTS2 even completely madder than it was at the beginning? You know, he, he was completely uh, against it right from the start, but it's become absolutely more insane. And, and the most insane aspect of this is that we still don't really know what it's for. You know, it, it's... Yes, it's to originally, you know, they they kind of sold it as high speed 
too. And that was a bad idea because, you know, yes, it cuts 45 minutes off the journey to Birmingham and so on. But, you know, you can get between London and Birmingham in an hour and 45 at the moment. London and Manchester, two hours, 10 or something. You know, the, the time taken is not a problem. It's faster than by car anyway. So they then realize, oh, no, we can't say it's about speed. It's about capacity. But do we need kind of the potential? And, and they claim that there could be up to 18 trains per hour of high-speed trains buzzing through the, the center of the whole of England, even possibly ending up right up in Scotland. I mean, do we need that kind of capacity? Is that really feasible? And particularly since COVID has knocked numbers and since uh, business travel has kind of greatly, greatly reduced since COVID. So it's never had quite a purpose. Is it supposed to take cars off the road? Well, a lot of the stations are actually parkway stations, which means that you have to drive to them. For example, the proposed now scrapped uh, station halfway between Nottingham and Derby, Toton, was entirely a parkway station. So is the, the second station in Birmingham is a parkway station and so on. So the whole idea that you'll be taking lots of people out of their cars, instead they'll just have to drive to the station and then take a train. But it's it's really ill thought out. And we ought to come to the money aspect of this when we're actually looking at its value. Speaking of the money, I mean, we know about the sunk cost fallacy, the idea that you've already spent tons of money on something, so you might as well carry on with it, even if it's perhaps not such a good idea as it was when you started. But surely enough of Euston, for example, has been dug up already to make it just foolish to stop now, particularly as Old Oak Common. I mean, I've lived in London for nearly 25 years, and I've not frankly got very little idea where Old Oak Common even is or how to get there from central London. Surely we've spent so much. Surely we should just finish the thing off. Well, that is an argument that is obviously being put forward by uh, supporters. But let's address the, the Old Oak Common thing. Old Oak Common, yes, is is sort of uh, near Acton and Ealing and kind of out there somewhere. It will be on the Elizabeth line, so it will have a, a, a link into central London. But the idea just doesn't wash, not least because they've demolished some perfectly good housing in, in Euston. And it seems to be a bigger building site every time I cycle through Euston. It, I did last night. It's absolutely enormous site, cleared land, and it would be a fantastic waste. Although, of course, you could sell it for a large amount of money. But the idea that you would take the Elizabeth line or taxi or whatever out to five miles of the edge of London to then speed you off to Birmingham and possibly crew and possibly kind of a few other places is nonsensical. I mean, it just it just doesn't work. So the trouble is they are, are stuck between, you know, a very, very solid rock and a very, very hard place because this project is now absorbing £100 million a week. Now, just just savour that for a moment. £100 million a week, that's £5 billion a year. And if it does continue to its completion of both uh, phases and the legs and, and whatever as a, as a kind of Y-shaped uh, railway through the whole of, of England, it will come to something like £100 billion and it will continue spending £5 billion a week for the next 15 years or something. Now, just, you know, it kind of 
almost pales into insignificance. The the kind of uh, promises made during the Brexit for three hundred and fifty million pounds for uh, the NHS. I mean, it, it's kind of that level of of spending over a very long period, and and it's yet it's very difficult to get out of it, as you suggest. Leaving a great big hole in Euston is neither feasible politically nor is it feasible from a transport point of view. If you if you if the trains ended at Old Oak Common, I'm told that at most you could have six trains an hour because there'd only be, I think, three terminus platforms there. And trains, you, you just have to have a certain amount of time for the train to, to, to dock in the platform and for people to come out and then people to get back in and the signaling system to work and so on. So to build this line for you know six, a maximum of six trains an hour, which you know, wouldn't even absorb everybody who wants to go between London and Birmingham. I mean, would be complete madness. In addition to the fact, you wouldn't do what they've always hoped, which is to clear the existing tracks of a lot of these services and therefore use them for other purposes, such as freight or better regional services or the like. Because if you only had maximum of, of uh, six trains an hour, you would basically still require a lot of the older services to still operate out of Euston. So it's the worst of all wells. And it was put forward as a treasury idea. And clearly, I don't think it's workable from a transport point of view. Why is it proved so incredibly expensive to build HS2? I mean, we know that it goes through some very posh and quite attractive parts of England. Is it all about land values or is there more going on? There's uh, a hell of a lot of things going on. I think, first of all, again, going back to the roots of the project, it's never been clear precisely what it's for. And that has meant lots of changes in plans, which are always expensive with building projects and, and the like, and a kind of lack of, of clarity about you know what was absolutely needed and what wasn't. Second of all, there's a lot of kind of arguments about it and essentially they had to put large swathes of it in tunnels. Uh, now, it's costing about £250 million pounds a mile when actually abroad, France and Germany, they build these things for 30 or £50 million pounds a mile. So it, it's it's much more expensive. Partly we are, a, as you say, land values, but also because the protest made them put the trains in tunnels and embankments and bridges. So there's 25 miles of tunnels. There's uh, about 10, 15 miles of viaducts. And there's about 40 miles of embankments. So that's incredibly expensive. And then a third issue is there has never been any reasonable sort of cost control on this at all. All the contracts, from what I gather, are, are what's called cost plus. In other words, you know, it's rather like you get a kitchen, you get asked, uh, you'll build a build a kitchen and they'll say, well, um, I can't really give you a quote, but, you know, say it costs 10 grand and then we'll see uh, uh, what it will cost eventually and you'll just um, make up the difference. And that's essentially what they seem to have done with most of these contracts. And then there's the the delay. I mean, this was originally supposed to open in 2027-8, then 2030, and now the latest announcements suggest that Nothing's really going to run till 2033. And, and of course, you know, every month you have kind of all these people in orange high vis and helmets kind of running around, cost you more money. So, so there's that. And there's the, the very nature of the kind of British way of, of, of doing these things that, you know, we, we 
don't plan kind of properly the whole, we don't scope out the whole project properly right from the beginning. It's a kind of muddling as we go through idea. So the combination of all those factors has led to this enormous cost base and therefore has led to kind of objections and kind of uh, opposition. But as you suggest, there has been quite a lot of sunk cost. Probably, I've just checked this out recently, probably about 20 billion has been spent. But the first phase to Birmingham and, and a bit beyond is, is costed at 44 billion. I'm told that it's very unlikely to come at less than 60 billion. So do you then throw 20 billion away? You might sell off a bit of land and whatever. So maybe you get it down to 15 or whatever. But can you really do that? Can you leave these? I mean, if you've been out into the Chilterns lately, as I did, you'll see there's all these tunnels emerging there, all these embankments and all this kind of earthquake, massive kind of construction. And, you know, would you leave it so that, you know, in, in, in a couple of millenniums, some kind of future people kind of discover these great big holes in the ground and tunnels and they think, gosh, I wonder what this was for. You know, I've never understood, by the way, the politics of this is very interesting because it was started by the Labour Party, it was supported by the, the, the coalition government, the Tories and the, the Dib Dens absolutely supported it. And subsequent Tory governments have supported this as well. And I've never quite understood why. You know, when you talk to backbench Tory MPs, they largely hate it. I can understand why the Labour Party thinks it's a good idea because they think it's, you know, genuinely levelling up and we must address that issue. But I've never understood why it's been a bipartisan kind of support for, you know, what is incredibly expensive piece of infrastructure. That is railways. I mean, on the whole, the Tories prefer roads to railways. And yet successive prime ministers, Tory prime ministers and, and transport secretaries have gone along with this as kind of an absolute key part of their programme. They all still seem to be in hock to this kind of idea that, you know, we must go ahead with this. So finally, the multi-billion pound question, will it actually get billed? Well, as I've been trying to kind of work around, uh, the government, and indeed any government, is really in a difficult uh, situation with this. I don't think, even though I'm a long-time opponent of this, I don't think it's viable to actually scrap it totally. I, I just think that the political stink about it would, would you know, collapse any government, that it would be seen as an incredible waste of money. But that does mean that any government is going to have to keep on pouring money into this, at least until the London-Birmingham bit is built. And that's probably, in addition to the 20 or so billion that's been spent, probably another 40 billion. Now, of course, not all that money is wasted. You know, uh, you do get, as I say, you get benefits. But of course, a lot of the money comes back to you through the tax system, through VAT, through, you know, on, on building materials, through income tax on the people you're paying and so on. So it, it's not all wasted. But uh, I can't see a way of any government getting out of uh, completing at least that that uh, section. And now, in a way, if they only build it to Birmingham, that will be the worst kind of situation that we can envisage because the original cost-benefit analysis showed that the real benefits come by linking it to Manchester and Leeds and whatever. And so uh, having a line to Birmingham 
at high speed, costing 60 billion. Probably what we're going to end up with, Ros, but it's certainly not a perfect outcome. Christian, thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. As we record, rail workers are on strike, so if you find yourself with the price of a train ticket to spare, why not spend it on supporting the bunker? Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast. I'm Ros Taylor, and thanks for listening. The Bunker Daily was written and presented by Ros Taylor. The producers were Alex Reese and Jack Gerbertson, with assistant production from Kasia Tomashevich. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The group editor is Andrew Harrison, and our marketing manager is Gina Richard. Artwork by James Parrott, with music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Thank you.